Okay, so what's rattling around in my head is something similar to the difference between knowing something and getting something, but it's not quite that. So what I want to do is quickly recap the difference between my opinion on knowing something and getting something because it's something I've spoken about endlessly on the podcast, but not recently. So a good example of the difference between knowing something and getting something is somebody who's gone to college and has gotten themselves a degree or a master's in in business. Okay, they will understand, they, they will know what cash flow is and they'll know what cash flow is because they've studied it. They've been taught it, they've learned it, and now they know what cash flow is. But somebody who's been running a business for five or ten years, they might necessarily know what cash flow is, but they fucking get it. They understand it. They understand it on a deeper level because they've lived it. It's not something that they've been taught or something that they've learned. It's not something that they've read in a book. It's something that they've lived. They've experienced it. So they might know it by name. They might have that term in their in their head, that term cash flow. But they'll certainly know, or they'll certainly get it. They'll certainly know what it means. Especially if, it, if they've ever tried to expand their business. And even without trying to expand your business, business owners are acutely aware of ensuring of the ne- of the necessity of ensuring more money comes in than more money goes out, and that's a very 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 dumbed down version of what cash flow is. Okay, it's essentially ensuring that more money is coming in than is going out, and it's to make sure that you don't get caught up essentially in the moment and you're looking further down the line to ensure that your quote cash flow end quote is sufficient to keep up with demand okay so that's a fairly basic example of the difference between knowing something and getting it typically somebody knows something when they've read it in a book or they've heard it from their friend or they've learned it in school or whatever it is and somebody who gets it has lived it. They've eaten and breathed it and they understand it on a deep level. But they mightn't necessarily know the term that covers it. So that this term being cash flow. So that's basically the difference between knowing something and getting something. And I've harped on about this endlessly in the past. Now, as I said, in this episode, I want to talk about something that's somewhat analogous to that. But not quite. And it's in relation to knowing and doing and I'm going to use an analogy here with with training so you might know how to train because let's say you were a professional footballer or maybe you're a professional fighter or a fucking swimmer or a jockey or whatever else you understand training maybe you're a coach you understand training you get training you know about your nutrition and you know about your max heart rate and your VO2 and and all the ins and outs of training. You know what you get. You could write a book on training. But knowing a lot about training doesn't keep you fit. doesn't keep you fit by any stretch of the imagination. It's the doing of the training that makes the difference. And there's an analogy here with your mental health. So you might understand your mental health. You might have a really good grasp of, of the things that you need to do 
and things that you need to avoid in order to maintain a, a mentally healthy life, say. But in the same way as knowing a lot about training is great, but in the same sense, useless unless it's put into practice. Your knowledge of your own mental health is absolutely useless unless you put it into practice, unless you are actively doing the thing that you know about. It's perfectly analogous, I think, to fitness and training. If you're out there pounding the roads and you're lifting the weights and all the rest of it, and you're actually doing the thing that you know about, you will be a fit and healthy person. And the point being, just knowing about it isn't nearly enough. You need to practice it. It's, it's something that it needs to be done on the regular. I was listening to um, one of my influencers, uh, Blind by Bow Club. Highly recommend his podcast if you haven't listened to it. And he was talking about his asthma. And he said that he has asthma, but he doesn't really have it as such at the minute. And what he meant by that was he doesn't smoke. And he avoids smoky environments. And he avoids dusty environments. And he avoids all the types of places that he knows will flare up his asthma. And because he does all these things, because he consciously does things so that his asthma doesn't flare up, he essentially doesn't have asthma. Now, as soon as he stops doing those things, avoiding the things that flare up his asthma, all of a sudden he's an asthmatic. But without being in bad environments, he essentially is asthma-free. And I think your mental health is something similar. There are things that we know trigger us. There are things that we know have a detrimental effect on our mental health. But knowing that isn't enough. And that's why I would imagine a lot of psychologists and psychotherapists, in fact, just by virtue of being a psychotherapist, say, that doesn't mean that you've got good mental health. Knowing about it isn't enough. You have to put that knowledge into action. And I think your diet is essentially the exact same. You could be a nutritionist. You could write books on, on losing weight and you might know all the ins and outs of managing your micros and your macros and your fucking water intake and your exercise levels and counting calories and all that jazz. You might know all that inside out. But if you're stuffing chocolate into your face every evening, you're going to be a fat fuck. It's, it's pretty much that simple. As the saying goes, you can't out-train a bad diet. But there's something to that. There's something to the knowledge that we have that we don't in, that we don't put into use. If you're anything like me, you have a thirst for knowledge. You have a thirst for learning things and, and gaining a better understanding of things. And to quote past guest and friend of the show, Porrick Riley, our minds are overfed and undernourished. And I think that's a good quote to throw in in relation to what I'm talking about here. We're endlessly looking to put more information into our minds to learn more, to expand our horizons. But we don't tend to put nearly enough effort, and by we I mean me, I don't tend to put nearly enough effort into practicing the things that I already fully understand. Now I'm not completely useless here either, but I just think that there's there's something to that. There's something to the realisation and the the constant reminding ourselves that knowing something is only 5% of it. It's the application of what we know that's the remaining 95%. And I suppose what all of this is kind of prompting 
is me to to have a, a proper think about all the things that I know that I don't put into good use. Because if no other reason, unless you use it, you lose it. It's like what you know, what you've learned. There's an analogy there to uh, lifting weights and growing your muscles. Like if you if you sort out your diet and start lifting weights, whether it's your own body weight or iron or whatever it is, machines, and you exercise endlessly, you'll gain muscle mass, provided you have the right diet and all the rest of it. But you, you'll gain muscle mass and you'll become bigger and bulkier. And that's great. But you have to sustain it. And your, I think your, your mind is something similar here. You have to sustain it. You have to kind of, you have to keep on top of it, because if you don't, you if you don't use it, you lose it. Our bodies are evolutionarily geared towards not wasting energy. And as far as your body is concerned, if you don't have a need for the muscles that are in your body, your body will consume them. Your body won't consume them if you have a need for them. Does it? Does it? Does a convert? Does a a conservation of energy going on within our own bodies all the time? And I wonder is is there the equivalent with thought? So I wonder. And I suppose we've all we've all noticed this in jobs that we've had in the past. So. When I was working for a company called Hardy Electrical, I used to sell white goods to the public. So washing machines, fridge freezers, dryers, all, all that kind of crack. And I used to know all the codes off them. Now, I've long forgotten them all. But I wouldn't have long forgotten them all if I was still working with them. And that can be said for any of the past jobs that I've had. When I worked with Aircom in account management, I had to sign into about, oh, Jesus, the best part of 10 different programs every morning. And each one of those had to have a different password. And I used to know all of those off. Because I used to walk in every morning, pump them in, and you had to, to start your day. So I had all those rhymed off. Think of all the pins for the different things that you used to have that you used to know. Think of all the mobile numbers, if you're a certain vintage, say, that you used to know. Or landline numbers, for that matter. When you were using them, you had them. You had access to them. They were there in your head. But through lack of use, you've lost them. And it's the exact same with training. You could set a world record deadlift or a world record marathon time or 5k or 100 meters or whatever it is. But you have to keep up your training to keep up that ability. And I think your mental ability, it's not perfectly analogous, but it's not fucking far off. And it's funny because with our waistlines, say... We get a little reminder every so often. Like if you pop a button or if you have to, you know, punch a new hole in your belt or if, you know, that dress or those jeans don't quite pull up on you like they used to. You get little kind of reminders that you're you're putting on weight. Now, like I mentioned in I think yesterday's episode, we tend to be fucking black belts in coming up with a making excuses for ourselves and oh that that shrunk in the wash and oh I've been meaning to change that and oh that button was about to go from the day I bought it and we concoct all these fucking mad things in our heads to just kind of promote ourselves. We're we're easily fooled when we want to be. 
but it's it's some it's somehow unfortunate that we don't have a mental equivalent. Like you know, you you're in bad humor, and you know whatever you're in bad humor, but you don't typically say you don't jot down in your humor book your humor on any given day. Now I've said I've mentioned this before in a previous episode. I think it's actually a great idea for us to have something that we log our mood. The idea being that you know five is average, ten is the best day of your life, and zero is suicidal. And every day before you went to bed, if you just scored your day, you know, five, six, four, whatever, nine, one, whatever it was, any given day doesn't really matter. But your mood over the month. So let's say there's 30 days in the month. Pick five as baseline. 30 by five is 150. You want a score of about 150 at the end of the month. But if your score is you know, 30 or below 50 or 60 like that should be a fucking red flag that's the equivalent of you know popping a couple of buttons or moving up or yeah moving down a fucking a belt hole or going up a jean size or or whatever it is and it'd be it's it's interesting to think if you did this over a number of years and you plotted it on a graph like does your mood go up in the summer does it go down in the summer does it go up in the winter would you recognize maybe you're fucking bipolar maybe it's you know 150 one month and it's fucking you know four the next month and then it's 130 and then it's three and then it's 120 like we we have these notions of the type of people that we are but it's very hard to observe something from the inside and it's practically impossible to to step outside yourself and view yourself retrospectively I think it'd also be a really good idea in relation to figuring out what it is that triggers you. So the obvious example for that would be your your score plummets during the winter months. You could just put that down to fucking daylight, basically. But if you're pottering along at 150 for 11 months of the year and every March it plummets and you know that every March your Auntie Mary fucking stays for the month or whatever the fuck it is. Like you can kind of, again, I've spoken about this idea before, this idea of kind of mining your own data. If we could only see our mood mapped out across, you know, the days, the weeks, the months, we might actually be able to get a grasp on what we're like over time. And another thing that I've mentioned, this is this is going to be called another thing that I've mentioned in the podcast, was this analogy between mood and personality and weather and climate. And just to reiterate that a little. Weather is if it's sunny outside. Or if it's raining. You know, you look out the window. You want to know what the weather is like. You check out the weather forecast. And you, you know, the long range. The next seven days is forecast. And you're like, okay, that, that's the weather. It's sunny today. It's raining tomorrow. It's sunny the next day. And it's thunderstorms the day after. That's the weather. But your weather over time is called climate. And it's analogous to our mood and our personality. So the type of humour that I'm in now is just the type of humour that I'm in now. And the type of humour that I was in yesterday is the type of humour I was in yesterday. And the next day and the next day and the next day. And that's just your day-to-day mood. But your day-to-day mood over time is your personality, essentially. It's not a perfect analogy, but I think it it works well to get the gist across, to get the sentiment across. And just to to circle back to, to where I started... 
we have a lot of the knowledge that we need already. We often don't need more information. We have enough to essentially not solve all our problems, but solve the solvable ones. And I think doing something like I do, talking extemporaneously like this on a regular basis is great for me. And me listening to podcasts is also great for me because it reminds me of certain things, depending on the type of podcast that you listen to. But Mr. Boat Club's podcast would be a great example. The Blind Boy podcast, again, I'd highly recommend anybody listen to it if you haven't already. But doing it yourself for publication or otherwise, or making notes or journaling or whatever it is, and listening to other people talk about these topics, they all help to kind of remind us of the things that we already know. And reminding us of them is great, there's a net positive of being reminded of something. But the real benefit, the real benefit is putting what you know into practice. Because if you don't use it, you lose it. And on that note, I'll chat you soon. Poof.